James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, and reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by, hum- by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. I want to take a moment and um, mention a word of thanks to all the people that make the technical stuff in this room happen week in and week out, right? The sound system and the equipment, they come early to set it up. They make sure that it runs throughout. This includes Mike Saltzman and Steve Davis and others. And if we could, yeah, put our hands together and say thank you to our sound team and the individuals that make up that team. And this is also maybe a chance to say, anyone want to help them out? We actually need some more uh, members of this team to help out. If you want to ascend to the heights and and be in the booth uh, back where you'll see Mike right now, um, you don't need tons of technical ability. We can train you, uh, though you'll want to have some familiarity uh, with some of this. But especially in this summertime, uh, with a lot of people traveling, we do need um, additional help. Two, three, four of you, if you'd like to uh, maybe just mention to one of us or Myung on our staff or Mike himself, um, please do uh, sign up to help. We do actually need your help, um, in part to give relief to our brother who has so faithfully um, helped out in so many ways, um, but uh, so that we can have a mix of people uh, rotating through a system. So please do consider joining that team. All right. Let's bow our heads in prayer as we look at this passage of scripture. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you in advance for how we know you will speak to us. We thank you that you are a speaking savior. You don't leave us guessing as to what you desire of us, how you seek to change us, the ways in which you love us. You speak and now make us listeners by your grace. Remove the obstacles of the ears of our hearts and help us to receive your words as you intend them to be, which is as a life-giving word of truth and grace. So come, help us 
Uh, We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Many of you are aware of the tragic accident that took place now about three weeks ago in Surfside, Florida, when a condo building suddenly collapsed, uh, death toll still rising, killing about 100 people. Lord, have mercy upon those grieving families and neighbors. And as you also may know, investigators are continuing to look for answers, a, a deep and terrible mystery as to how it is that this building, which appeared to be like so many other buildings in the region, indeed across the nation, could come down so suddenly. Uh, but gradually, as the news is coming out, it seems clear that at least a part of the problem was this, small cracks that slowly over time became devastating cracks in the foundation of the building, leaking water, different problems that were left unaddressed and unrepaired for years, even decades, which eventually compromised the very integrity of the building's foundations. Small problems, fixable problems that became bigger problems that eventually became a complete and utter nightmare. James in today's passage says a similar things about the power of our words. The problem might at first seem small, maybe even easy to overlook or underestimate. We might be inclined to think that our words, the things that we say to one another, are no big deal at all. In fact, surely we pass through our days believing this. And yet James reminds us, our words have immense power. And so the question today is, do you treat your words as though they have such power? This power that comes, of course, from the way that God made words in the first place. We live in a world... And we are people that were literally made by words, God's words, God who spoke all things in the beginning into being. And so we speak because God speaks because we are created in his image, looking and sounding like him. So if God's words have power, then should we not expect that our words might also? And they do. Power to give life. Power to take life. Our words have power. James tells us this, our first point here, reminding us of the power of our words. In the second paragraph of our passage, verses 3 through 6, he offers three different analogies, three word pictures. Uh, The horse, the ship, and the fire. Uh, The first picture involves horses in verse 3. You know, horses aren't small animals. Few of us in D.C. have horses in our backyards for a couple reasons. They're not small, relatively speaking, but it only takes a small bit, a piece that is fixed in their mouths, in order to turn the entire animal, James says. Or take a ship at sea, the second image in verse 4. Ships, too, are very large, or at least they can be, but it's only a very small rudder, in some cases just a little piece of wood, 
that steers even a large ship and even against strong winds. Then James's final word picture involves a fire, verses 5 to 6. Even the smallest of sparks, as some of you perhaps know tragically, sets a whole great forest or a house ablaze. James concludes in verse 5, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it, make great, it makes great boast. It's a small part of us, and yet it's a big deal. What's James trying to say? It's simply this. Don't overlook or underestimate the power of even our small words. Because our words, by God's design, again, have the capacity to heal and to kill. We hear this in Proverbs 18, 21. Lots of Proverbs in the Old Testament that tell us about how we use our words and what our words are all about. Proverbs 18, 21. The tongue has the power of life and death. Uh, some of you today actually have experienced the way in which something someone said to you in your past or even very recently that almost literally felt like it raised what was dead to life. You know that power. And others of us sadly know the lingering power of words that can almost kill. Uh, an unkind word, a harsh word, a deadly word that pierced your soul and that lingers even to this day. Proverbs 12 verse 18 says this, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Pierce like swords. That's a helpful image, isn't it? To think of the way in which you actually use words can be like a dagger in someone's soul. Or it could be like medicine for an ill and ailing person. Uh, maybe these are images that the Bible gives us to really help us to know how to relate to our words. When you're about to say something, are you thinking, is this about to be a sword in someone's heart? Are you thinking, is this about to be a cup of cold water to a thirsty soul? This is what our words can do. This is what our words do do. And remember, what we're being invited to evaluate and consider is not just the intent behind our words, but rather the actual impact of our words upon those around us. I mean, let me for a second just highlight a little bit more of the positive side of the power of these words. Again, we have the power to give life, to bless to heal. Will you this week consider the things that you say to people around you in your home, in the workplace, in your neighborhood? And can you think of your words as a gift that you have an opportunity to give someone a word of encouragement, a word of joy, a word of affirmation, a word of kindness, a word of forgiveness and release. You can give a gift Almost a, a, a visible, palpable picture of a gift that you need to have in front of you. And say, this I give to you as an offering to you in love. Speaking to serve and to build up. And even hard words sometimes can be words of love. Words of rebuke or correction. Speaking the truth in love. Don't forget that too can be a gift to a person that has fallen off course. 
James reminds us that our words have power, and this is especially multiplied depending upon our station in life or our different callings. It's why in the beginning of the passage, he says pretty directly, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. You see, all of our words have power, but some of us, because of our position, indeed, because of our power, have with our words power multiplied by power. It should make us tremble. And that means those of you who are teachers, those of you who are, yes, parents, those of you that occupy important callings in society, your words that have added weight, actually, indeed, call us to have a bit more of trembling before the way that we steward our words. And in fact, most of all, I think when James says teachers, he's not just speaking generally of teachers. He's talking about teachers in the gospel community. People like myself. I want to make sure that you understand that this is a word of accountability. Most of all to persons like myself and Yancey and elders in our church. Power multiplied by social power. Behold the power of our words. Indeed, our words have the power to steer, James says, even our whole lives. Can determine the whole course of our life. In the second half of verse 6, we're told that the tongue, it corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire. In the case of horses, again, the little bit, the tongue, the word, as it were, turns the whole animal with the ship, the little rudder steers the whole ship. In other words, consider this, as your words go, so goes your whole life. And you know that this is true, don't you? One mistaken word can change the whole direction of your life, can't it? Uh, One mistimed word, the wrong word to the wrong person at the wrong time, can really redirect the course of your life. There's something about words, in fact, that even confirms the beliefs and desires that we have in our hearts. When you actually say something out loud, maybe for the first time, I love you. This is how I really feel. This is what I really believe. You say it out loud. There's something about the way that God has made words even powerful unto ourselves where it confirms and seals the things that otherwise wordlessly remained in our hearts. It's why the Bible says, take care about what you say out loud. It's also why the Bible says it's important sometimes to say some things out loud in order to complete them as true and belonging in your heart. For example, to declare publicly that Jesus is Lord, to say to God that he is my savior. Some of these confessions should be verbalized, applied with words in public settings. God has given us these words. And again, the calling once again is to make sure that we consider how we're stewarding our words. And most of all, not to underestimate or overlook the power of our words. Simple invitation to you this week. Can you spend this coming week more aware of your words? 
Uh, Can you be conscious and maybe even ask for feedback from those around you? What am I sounding like? What are the words you hear? Because James talks about not just generally the power of our words. He also secondly tells us about the poison of our words. Our words have the power to give life and death. James in this passage focuses a little bit more on the negative side. The negative power that we have, the poison of our words. And in fact, that's exactly what he calls uh, words that are uh, filled with evil, with sin, that are misdirected, that are unloving. What does he say in the second half of verse 8? He says, it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. He's, of course, referring to all kinds of destructive words, angry words, harsh words. Slanderous words, which is another way of saying words that lie about who another person is. Blaming and accusing words. Ever critical and condemning words. Words that disparage and cut down. Words that manipulate or seduce in order to get your own way. Words that are dishonest, that are straight up lies. Words that are full of gossip and rumor which is a way of entertaining ourselves at the expense of other people. Uh, Dear friends, are there poisonous words uh, spewing or maybe even trickling out of your mouths, out of your hearts, at home, in the workplace? And there I, I, I want to give you a heads up that too often we have, I think, different standards for how we handle our words at home and at the workplace as if God doesn't actually hold us to a similar standard. Or maybe even online or in social media. Once again, the ways in which we live by double and in some cases triple standards for the way that we talk. Uh, dealing with people in the ether of the online world differently than we would ever speak to them in real life. I mean, friends, it really is worth considering as we tremble before the possibility, the presence of poisonous words in our lives, to ask ourselves, uh, friends, the roommates that you live with, if we were to ask them, what is the kind of words that they most often hear from you? What would they say? Parents, if we were to ask your kids, what kinds of words do your kids most hear from you? What would they say? Scolding words? Encouraging words? Or kids, if we were to ask your parents, what kind of words do your parents most often hear from you? Back-talking words? Grateful words? Whatever our station in life, whatever our relationships might look like, It's also important to remember that these words are not always just poisonous in themselves, but cumulatively, moment after moment and day in and day out, added up together, can become a whole truckload of verbal hydrochloric acid resting upon a person's life, upon their heart. And James is telling us that these things are not just hurtful, in fact, they are sinful. Because they violate the image of God in people. In the second half of verse 9, James says, We curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. 
Every person around you, though you cannot see the crown, is crowned with the glory of God, full of dignity, a bright and radiant image, however broken and flawed, of the God of the universe. God is saying, don't you dare talk to my mirror that way. My created one. My little image of glory. It's a sinful thing to misuse our words in this way. It violates the image of God in other people, but it also, as I just said, violates God himself. In fact, James calls out our duplicity and hypocrisy. He says, look, you you say all these great and praisey things about God to his face, and yet you spin around to your brother and sister and chew them out. Verse 9, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this cannot be, should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Again, he's saying you can't be with God in your words in one way and then treat his image bearers differently in another way. But we're all guilty of this, aren't we? Singing songs of praise in one moment and muttering about the person next to you in the pew in the next. Praying to God with words of thanks in one moment And then chewing out your neighbor or your spouse or friend. James says it's a deep problem. And guess what? We can't save ourselves in this problem. We can't fix ourselves in this problem. Why? Because our tongue, our problem with words cannot be tamed. Verse 7, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Some of you have little animals as pets, perhaps a dog or a cat. You've gone through some time to try to train them, housebreak them, maybe teach them some tricks to show off to your friends and neighbors. And in many cases, it works. In some cases, it hasn't worked as well as you want to. And some of you have animals that feel like these Mission Impossible projects. They refuse to be trained, refuse to be tamed. I grew up with dogs like that. It seems like an impossible task. And yet even there, there's a little bit of success that you can enjoy. For a moment, they do come. Uh, For a second, they do sit down. James is saying... Our words, the poison of our tongues, it's an animal that can never be tamed. Not by our own human strength and ingenuity. You cannot just sew up your lips and control your words from harming other people. You cannot just use human resolve and strength to say, I'm not ever going to do this. Oh, dear friends, tragically, we will do this. We do do this. 
But what we cry out for, what we need, is precisely this kind of healing of our words, what we might call, thirdly, the purifying of our words. Because our words have power. Sadly and tragically, they're poisonous in so many instances, but by God's grace, he can and does purify our words. Consider again that James talks about our words using these metaphors and pictures of a tree and of a spring. He says our words are almost like fruit, whether fig or apple or grapes or olives, they come out like a tree. They're coming as fruit from the branches and the trunks and the root of the tree. Or they're like a spring of water. They do spew forth salt water or fresh water, but it comes out of the source of the spring. You know who else used this very metaphor? This very word picture. It was Jesus himself when he taught about the power of our words. For example, look at Luke 6 in verses 43 through 45. This is what Jesus says. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You see, when a tree bears a certain kind of fruit, it's because that's the kind of tree it is. And when a spring of water produces a certain kind of water, that's because that's the kind of spring that it is. If our mouths are spewing or leaking poisonous fruit, it's because the problem lies at the root of the tree and the source of the spring, and that's what's in our hearts. You see, what you need is not proverbial thread across your lips. What you need is a heart transplant. What you need is a new heart that lingers over and that is formed and shaped by different Kinds of words, different kinds of words that change our lives. Changing our words from salty to fresh isn't just a matter of changing our lips or forcing our speech. It's a matter of knowing where they come from. So often, again, we think that our words are are actually animated by our circumstances out here. You know, it's a bad day that made me talk that way. Or maybe a bad childhood that made me talk that way. No, Jesus says our words don't come from out there. They come from in here. And you know what? That's good news. You know why? Because out here, I can't change that stuff. But in here, God can change me. By his grace. By his love. So kind words, gracious words, healing words, where do those come from? In here. So here's the question. Here's the question. What do your hearts hear most? Because that is going to have the most shaping influence as to the words that come out of your mouth. What's in here will manifest out here. 
If we could print out a transcript of all the words that are bouncing around in your mind and in your heart, what would we find in that printout? What words are you most hearing in your soul? Because here's the bottom line. If we want to grow and learn how to speak life-giving words to others, then we need to hear all the time the life-giving words of God. Do you hear them? He does speak them to you. Are you reading them? Are you meditating on them? Are you letting them bounce around in your heart? The words of your heavenly father, which is what James calls him in verse nine, our Lord and father, our God. Some of you may have noticed a video that was fairly popularly shared this past week, a video of three people in China, a father, a mother, and their 26-year-old son sobbing as they embraced during their most stunning reunion. Why a reunion? Well, on Sunday, this was a moment when Guo Gantang, after 24 years, finally saw his son again. After traveling more than 310,000 miles across China by motorcycle, looking for his son that was abducted, kidnapped, at the young age of two years old, right from the front of their home. Abducted and sold and trafficked in 1997. 310,000 miles traveled by motorcycle in search of his son, never giving up, never giving up that he'd see his son again, carrying flyers of his boys, big flags to announce to the world, this is the boy you need to be looking for. Finally, after 26 years, reunited. The boy's mom was there too. My darling, my darling, my darling, she sobbed as she embraced the young man. We found you, my son, my son. You know, friends, you were lost too. Estranged from our God. You were lost and maybe even now you still are. Alienated from the God who made you and loved you. And you know who this God is. He's a parent too. He describes himself in those terms. And he traveled not 300,000 miles across all China. But he crossed from heaven to earth. And in fact, he gave up his own son. In order to have you and to make you his son, his daughter. And now as he invites you into his family, having forgiven your sins, given you life by the death and resurrection of Jesus, do you hear his words in your heart? My darling, my darling, my darling, we found you, my son, my daughter. What are the words of your heavenly father that you hear? In your heart. Because that's the power. That you have. That I have. 
to have transformed, life-giving words in our life? What do you hear from him? Do you know that God sings over you? You are my beloved in whom I am well pleased. Do you hear him saying, I have taken your sins and I remember them no more? Do you know that Zephaniah tells us that God doesn't just speak these words, he sings them over you? So great is his rejoicing over having you as his own. Do you know this Jesus who took the judgment for every one of your poisonous words, your foolish words, every sword that came out of your mouth and pierced the heart and life of another person, he took it, spun it back upon himself and let that dagger hit him. Judgment upon him, his own heart, his own soul, as he took the judgment of hell on the cross for you and for me, for our rash words, for our angry words, for our manipulative words, for our gossipy words. Jesus took what we deserve and then he gave us what we don't deserve, words of kindness, words of love, words that can change our lives. Do you hear him? Because if you do, if those are the words that fill the tank of your soul, you'll begin to speak differently. You'll begin to be quicker to say the words, I forgive you to a person that you're really angry at that truly did hurt you. But you can say those words. Why? Because you've heard them a thousand times in the last week from your God. Or you're able to say to a person, you know what? You're important. You're valuable. A person that feels low and you want to lift them up and help them to see their God-given dignity. Encourage them. And you know why you can say that? Because you've heard that from your God a thousand times in the last week. You're made in my image. You're crowned with my glory. Chin up. I love you. What are the words of God that you hear in your heart? God speaks these words to you, my friends. And to the degree that his words fill our hearts, we begin to speak like him. So what do your words sound like? Think about it in this coming week. But more important, what do your father's words sound like? Think more deeply about those this week. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your words, your life-giving words. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the hope you give us. And we pray that your words of grace would change our hearts, our lives, in a way that actually transforms our words so that we can learn to speak a little bit more like you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.